Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Today is Here. It's a guest essay by Sarah Miles. Sarah's the director of ministry at St. Gregory of Nyssa Episcopal Church in San Francisco. She's also the author of two books, Take This Bread, a Radical Conversion, which, by the way, has been previously reviewed at Journey with Jesus, and then her new book, Jesus Freak, Feeding, Healing, Raising the Dead, due out in February 2010. Sarah's essay is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, January 24th, 2010. We read in the Gospel of Luke, Today the scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Today. And so Jesus emerges from his 40 days in the wilderness, armed with the power of the Spirit. He walks into his hometown synagogue among his own people. He opens the scroll, reads the words of the prophet Isaiah, and his very first word out of the desert is today. This is not religion as we often know it, not nostalgia for the past, nor a fantasy of the future. It's not centered in memory or anticipation. Next year I'll do this, or in the old days we did that. Someday maybe God will set things right. No, Jesus just proclaims today which is exactly what God means whenever she speaks her unspeakable name, I am. And the power of that name always pulls back the curtain to reveal the eternal present where God lives. This reading from Luke cuts off rather abruptly so that we don't hear what happens next, the outrage of the people and their rejection of Jesus. We don't see the scandalized lynch mob gathering, though the passage is clearly meant both to echo the prophets and to prefigure the crucifixion. Jesus pulls together Isaiah's words with hints of his own coming glorification. That is, his own torture and death at the hands of people very much like his listeners in the synagogue of Nazareth. And yet when he sits down to preach, he simply says to them, today. Today in your very hearing this text is fulfilled. I am. What does it mean if God in Christ is here today? At the very least it means good news for the poor, release for prisoners, sight to the blind, broken, broken victims healed. A challenging enough proposition for those doing just fine in the world as it is. More disturbing still is what Jesus has been teaching through his actions around Galilee. That God actually loves the Gentile, the cripple, the unclean foreigner as much as anyone else. I am is filling all humanity without exception with God's life. This is, of course, the good news that will get Jesus killed sooner rather than later. 
and continues to get people killed today. Today, in your hearing. Because Jesus' immediacy and explicitness continue to bother the faithful. Plenty of Christians willing to comb Leviticus to find a scriptural justification to hang their anti-gay political program on, eager to find little scraps of St. Paul to shut me up, are hesitant to take this rather literal-minded text literally, to believe that Jesus really means it. Releasing prisoners? Real, actual prisoners? Those dumb guys who got caught breaking into your car last week? The wicked murderers in San Quentin? And forgiving the debts of the poor? Isn't that just a metaphor? That's not for real, is it? Could God intend such blessing for everyone? Well, yes, he does. Jesus is proclaiming that God, right now, today, is turning the world upside down. God, right now, is saving and freeing and healing and forgiving. And Jesus invites us into that work. It's the literal work of siding with the oppressed and the undeserving. It's the frequently uncomfortable work of telling the truth everywhere, to enemies and to friends. It's the spiritual work of seeing that God is. Right now, right here, all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made. This work does not belong to the church or its ministers. When my daughter was three, she would help me make dinner. She dropped eggs and broke plates and fussed. She missed my directions, got in my way, and made a big mess. It was ten times harder to cook with her than to do it alone. But I didn't give my child a job at dinner time in order to be effective or efficient. Rather, it was a way of bringing someone I loved into a sense of herself as a human being sharing in human work side by side with others. And that's how I think God must look at us, maybe especially at the church. We can't be the most efficient way for God, who after all created earth and sky. We feel proud of our good deeds, our spilled milk and burned cake. But God rolls her eyes at the mess we make, cleaning up after us and patiently showing us how to be human beings by inviting us to share with Jesus in the work that makes us God's children. We can't do this work to earn salvation. Salvation is already here. We can't obey out of ritual correctness. Our best guesses about religion are no better than those of the people in the synagogue of Nazareth. We can only be drawn to Jesus the way a three-year-old is drawn to her mother, yearning to get closer, imitating, picking up a plate, and feeding others. Come and see, Jesus says to everyone, as he unrolls the scroll. Behold God's reconciling work. To behold God, we have to act. 
What's the point of dreaming about the rapture if you're unable to give your friend this morning? What's the point of imagining a future kingdom if you're unwilling to give money to a stranger today? Why do I think I'll wait to pray until I have enough time? Can't I cross the room during the peace to kiss the person who makes me most uncomfortable? Can't I just go down to the county jail today, this afternoon? Take Jesus' hint. Pull back the curtain and behold the eternal I am. Revealed or hidden, prophesied or remembered, God is always at work. Join in, come closer, lend a hand, and you will enter the perpetual present tense of Emmanuel, God with us. Of holiness in mortal flesh, God alive despite our poverty and blindness, filling our clumsy, broken lives, making everything new. Today, I am. The scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing today. And for further reflection, see Sarah Miles' newest book, Jesus Freak, due out in February by Josie Bass. And in fact, for books this week, I review a publisher's advanced copy of Jesus Freak. Once again, the author is Sarah Miles, Jesus Freak, Feeding, Healing, Raising the Dead. San Francisco, Josie Bass, due out in February 2010. In her previous book, Take This Bread, from 2007, Sarah Miles described herself as a blue state secular intellectual a lesbian and a left-wing journalist who had developed habits of deep skepticism from covering revolutionary movements in Central America. Her grandparents on both sides were missionaries, but in reaction to that upbringing, her parents were actively hostile to religion. She thus described herself in that first book as a very unlikely convert when at the age of 46, she walked into St. Gregory's Episcopal Church in San Francisco, partook of the Eucharist, and experienced a radical conversion. She had never heard a gospel reading, never said the Lord's Prayer, and knew only one person who went to church. That was about 10 years ago. Today, Sarah Miles is the founder and director of the Food Pantry and director of ministry at St. Gregory's Episcopal Church in San Francisco. The Food Pantry that Miles founded back in 2000 was an explicit and intentional extension of the Eucharist and of the many places in the Gospels where Jesus uses table fellowship and food as a sign of God's kingdom. Setting up food around the church altar, every Friday the pantry gives away free groceries with no questions asked and no forms to fill out to about 800 families. The pantry is run by church volunteers, misfits, and oddballs 
all of whom have benefited from the ministry. Another 18 similar food pantries have been jump-started as a result of Miles sharing her story both locally and nationally. A Jesus freak, says Miles, is a person who lives as if you were Jesus, that you were filled with his power, and who takes his teachings literally and acts upon them in simple yet profound ways. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. John 20, 21. The implication of the carnation is that a spiritual life is a physical life, as in feeding the hungry. Jesus freaks embrace outcasts instead of shunning them. They understand how outcasts are scapegoated in order to enable communities to define their center, to clarify what's acceptable, and to codify who's in and who's out. Jesus, of course, turned all this upside down by embracing all the wrong people, tax collectors, whores, the homeless, foreigners, and even dead bodies. Miles' simple narrative packs a powerful punch as she tells the stories of the saints she's met through the St. Gregory Food Pantry. This is not an airbrushed hallmark story. Rather, we meet the drug dealers and drunks, the petty criminals, insane street people, troubled teenagers, pathological liars, expert manipulators, and scam artists. All the sorts of human beings that Jesus embraced, who present the face of Jesus to us every day, and who invite us, in Miles' words, to, quote, live as if Jesus were real, end quote. Only in heaven, said Mother Teresa, will we understand how much we owe the poor for helping us to love God like we should. I especially appreciated how Miles has moved beyond trying to determine which poor, quote-unquote, really need the food, how you keep people from cheating the system, why those poor people have cell phones and cars, what you do when people take advantage of you, and how to identify the so-called deserving poor. And she's fully aware of her exaggerated sense of self-importance, of how we justify our own prejudices, idolize traditions, feel helpless and hopeless, and cherish our need to be effective. At the end of this book, you'll be painfully aware of the differences between a gospel that reinforces cultural conformity, convention, and comfort, and one that takes the words of Jesus at face value, and with a simplicity beyond all the complexities. The title of the book, Jesus Freak, Feeding, Healing, Raising the Dead, by Sarah Miles. For film this week, I review Malos Habitos from the year 2007. The film is from Mexico, and in English, the title means Bad Habits. This isn't a complex film, but it's nevertheless a disturbing portrait of food addictions. 
Elena is a classy suburban mother who suffers from anorexia. She constantly weighs herself, purges in public bathrooms, always claims that she's not hungry, examines her body image in the mirror, and runs endless miles on her treadmill. Matilda is a doctor who left her practice to become a nun, but she's conflicted by the dietary rigors of life in the convent. On the one hand, she fasts to end the constant rain, but she also sneaks food from home and forages in the trash, only later to feel shame and guilt. Stuck between these two women is Linda, the little daughter of Elena and the student of Matilda. Elena projects her sickness onto Linda, subjecting the little girl to doctors, diets, acupuncture, weight loss clinics, and even a stomach staple. No one likes fat people, she lectures. Matilda cares for Linda, who one day during her religious studies asks, is hunger a sin? Nothing ends well for these three women. The entire film is shot in near darkness amidst torrential rain, lending or foreboding feel to the 98 minutes. In Spanish with English subtitles. Malos Habitos. And finally, in keeping with the essay and the brand new book by Sarah Miles, for poetry this week, we've posted the Peace Prayer of St. Francis. We actually don't know the author of this classic prayer, and it was not until the 1920s that it was even ascribed to St. Francis. By one account, the prayer was found in 1915 in Normandy, written on the back of a card of St. Francis. But the prayer certainly emulates St. Francis's longing to be an instrument of peace, reconciliation, and redemption in our fallen world. The very familiar and powerful peace prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is error, truth. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may, know not, that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in self-forgetting that we find, and it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, January 24th, 2010. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.